0: Hello and welcome back to the seventh instalment of the BOLF podcast. I am here, as always, with my esteemed co-host BBK. How are you doing, sir? I'm very well, thank you very much. How are you? I'm okay. We've had another excellent week of football, which we're going to talk about. We've got the Manchester derby, we've got a load of handball controversy and a change of managers to talk about. Shall we just go straight into it, then?
1: Let's go into it with the first game of the weekend, and that was... A game between Burnley and Arsenal that ended a one all draw. Did you watch the game? I didn't. I have to admit, did you? I did watch the game. It was an early cook-off. It was a very good game. Arsenal had a lot of the possession, a lot of chances. But then the game became a VAR game where VAR was all over it. There was a few handball decisions. The There was a particular one where Eric Peters cleared the ball on the line with his shoulder. The referee dished out a red card, but then VAR overturned it. So, for once, VAR was actually very useful. However, there was another scenario in that game where I think it was Eric Peters again. or well, no, it might have been Matthew Lowton who handballed it in the box and there was just nothing given. No penalty for Arsenal, nothing. VAR, I don't think, even looked at it. Um, so, I think, once again, it's just a lack of understanding of what VAR is used for on the handball rules.
0: Yeah, I think... Well, I mean, we're talking about it effectively every week now, aren't we? That there's no consistency with the calls. that has been... Pretty much every week, there's at least one per game that is like a dodgy handball decision or, or something to that nature, and it's just getting a bit of a, a bit of a joke now, to be honest. Um, but for once, I actually don't really want to talk about VAR because I feel like if we do, then we will be talking about it every single week, and it's a bit boring. Can we talk about Arsenal and specifically the stage they're at in their season and the fact that? Playing against Burnley, you could argue that a one-all result is maybe, well, it's definitely a poor result for a a side that are looking to push up into that top eight, top six kind of thing. Um, Do you think this was a bad result for Arsenal in terms of watching the game?
1: I think it was, especially with the number of chances they created that game. They had 15 shots, but that only resulted in three shots on target. So, you know, and they've got Aubameyang up front, so I don't know if he's on a lack of form or lack of confidence. They're obviously trying to push for the sort of Champions League spots, the Europa League spots, and there's sort of a a lot of teams above them. There's None of them are really sort of, apart from, you know, the Chelsea, Man City, Man United, none of them are reaching consistent form. So I thought that Arsenal had a big chance to, you know, get three points and, you know, start climbing their way back up. But I think a one-all draw against a Burnley team as well is a really bad result for them.
0: Yeah, and I mean, one thing that I've kind of started to associate with Arsenal, certainly this season, is the kind of the technical players. You look at, they've got Willian, Pepe, now they've obviously brought in Erdegaard, Saka, you could even argue Lacazette and Aubameyang to a certain extent. And I've just looked here on, on one of the statistics we've got, that they only made 10 dribbles in the whole game. And they, only three of those were actually successful. And against a Burnley side who play 4-4-2, they're not particularly quick. Is that an area that they should be trying to exploit in terms of getting the likes of Pepe, the likes of Willian on the ball and running at play? And they've even got Hector Bellerin and players like that to to kind of come on the overlaps. Do you think that's that's down to a lack of confidence or do you just think it's down to Mikel Arteta's instructions?
1: I think it might also be down to the way that Burnley's set up. I think they have a lot of hard-working players um, I don't think I think you know they're very compact, they're tight. I don't think they let anyone pass, and you know I think they're defensively solid. Um, I, I think you know if you're trying to attack a Burnley team, you're trying to dribble past them. I just don't think you'll be able to get around them. Um, I think you know when you look at the many many of the big teams when they go to Burnley, they just try and wait for a mistake from Burnley rather than actually sort of creating anything good on their behalf. But I I still think that Arsenal with the quality that they had. Um, they should have won that game, and even with the Burnley goal being a mistake from Granit Xhaka, who just kicked he kicked, kicked the ball at Chris Wood and it just went into the the net. And I think Arsenal um have had a lot of sort of goals where they've been from individual er- errors rather than the whole team itself. I think if you think back to Leno and balling it outside the box, I think that sort of cost them the game against Wolves. Xhaka here again, I think he's made a few mistakes in previous games that costed goals. I think. Overall, defensively, Arsenal are pretty good. They're just, you know, the players are sort of letting the team down in certain games with mistakes like Shaka in this game and other games as well.
0: Mm. I think talking just for the last kind of bit on Arsenal, um, one one kind of big benefit that they'll have going forward is now that uh, obviously Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang has kind of got himself out of that goal drought that he had for ages where he just wasn't scoring and it was in the news everywhere. And... Pretty much all Arteta did was just dropped him a couple of games and kept bringing him on, and eventually he started scoring again. So what, I think when you're this kind of mercurial talent, it doesn't really matter what kind of form you're in. He you, you just ends up playing quite well. And I think ultimately, if Arsenal are going to be successful, it's going to be down to those individuals. Because like you say, people can, players can make mistakes, but it's how frequently they do it. And because they are so solid defensively, it's now just about how ruthless can they be up front and ultimately, I think that was their downfall in this game. You know, like you say, 15 shots, three on target, six off target and six blocked. So it's not... It doesn't really feel like they're being that clinical up front. You look at even Burnley, you wouldn't necessarily associate them with being like top-level finishers in the team. And yet they had... They only had nine shots, but five of them were on target. So they're being even more clinical than Arsenal. And... Um, one thing, obviously, just to flip it, because we've spoken quite a bit about Arsenal, Burnley are obviously in that kind of six to eight teams that are just about safe out of kind of the relegation zone. Do you think they may have done enough to keep them out of, out of that kind of scrap at the end of the season?
1: Yeah, they'll do enough to stay up this year. Uh, they've got a good manager in Sean Dyche, and I think you have to give him a lot of credit the way that he's kept Burnley in the Premier League over the, all these years, you know, the a limited budget that they have at Burnley. Like, you know how Burnley are going to play most games. They all, you know, they'll ump the ball up to the top of the pitch and they, they it's, it works for them. You just think that, you know, most teams would be able to go to Burnley. They know how, they could create a game plan to how to play against Burnley because you know how Burnley are going to play against them. But no, you have to give credit to Burnley and they'll be safe this year. They'll get some, some crucial wins along the way. So
0: yeah, Burnley will be safe. Yeah, I think ultimately they've got the problem that we talk about with a lot of teams that they're not a London club, so no one's particularly going to be interested in going there. And if you're not a London club, you have to be one of the Manchester clubs or Liverpool, or you could argue Everton now-ish, to draw the players in. I just don't know what player is actually going to go to Burnley, to be honest. I don't I don't know if there's going to be a group of players that will be interested in, in basically going to live in Burnley, so they may struggle in the transfer market. And I just wonder when their time is up because, to be honest, they aren't a particularly appealing kind of project to go to, to be honest. But if we move on from one relegation scrapping team to, if we're honest, a pretty much relegated uh, team in Sheffield United, uh, we'll talk about the big news uh, just after we talk about the game, but two 0 against Sheffield United away from home for Southampton was that expected? It
1: was expected. I think I actually predicted that on our last podcast. I have to have a, have a look at our predictions at the end. Uh, but no, I think it was predi- it was predicted. It was expected as well. Which is Southampton, Sheffield United, on a very bad run of form. Obviously, you know they're basically relegated, aren't they? Uh, I think Mina Mino had a very good game. He looked good. Che Adams scored a goal. You know, I think Southampton. I think, like we said previous in the previous podcast, I think we would expected them to be safe. Um, you know, I said that I think they'd have a guarantee three points against Sheffield United. That hopefully give them a bit of confidence um, to go and win some more games, and I'm sure they will be safe as well.
0: And I think ultimately, you actually look at the statistics for the game. It was fairly even. Possession was fifty-fifty. Obviously, Southampton sometimes like to play more on that kind of counter attack. So, maybe the possession being more equal isn't really a surprise. But, I mean, it's just down again to that kind of thing of Sheffield United just not scoring goals and not being clinical. You know, they had eight shots with two on target. And the only stat they they beat Southampton in for the whole game in terms of on target, off target, Sheffield United had one more shot off target than Southampton. Other than that, Southampton had more shots, they had more shots on target, and they had more blocked shots. So it just shows that Sheffield United just aren't threatening the goal enough, quite frankly.
1: I think that's a problem with a lot of these sort of Premier League teams in the relegation battle. They just they lack the goals that to get them safe. I think you look at Newcastle, they obviously have Callum Wilson. You could say that they've been very blessed to have a good striker that's you know, without Callum Wilson they could be even lower. And I just think Sheffield United they lack you know, sort of a 10, 15 goal player this season that would have potentially gone a few more wins and potentially just a few more points and just be a bit higher in the table, maybe. Yeah, well, I mean,
0: you look at look at what they've got at their disposal. They've got Ollie Burke, who last season was playing some... Well, he was at West Brom, but loaned out to some random Spanish team. You've got David McGoldrick, who, again, another ex-Forest player, who's just old. You've got Billy Sharp, again, an older player. And you've got Ollie McBurney, who last season was in the Championship with with Swansea. was it season? Sorry, season before he was in the championship with Swansea. So I just don't know that they've got the players to do anything, to be honest. In terms of just kind of switching all over the place, we obviously saw that Danny Ings picked up another injury. Is that a big blow to England in terms of kind of our our striking hopes for the Euros?
1: Yeah, it's a shame that he's picked up another injury. He's had a really bad season with injuries. You know, he's a very good player when he's fit on on form, but I think I think England will still be okay. I think it would have been nice for him to have gone, and they'd have you know the sort of the squad options, uh, the depth as well. You know they've obviously got Harry Kane, Dominic calvert and Rashford potentially to play out there. But I think it would have been nice just to have Ings there as well. You know if you're really struggling to create anything, Ings, Ings could have just come on and tried to make a difference. But obviously it's not it's not been his season this year, I'm afraid. Do you think it maybe?
0: I don't want to make this all England chat, but do you think it maybe makes uh, Southgate's decisions a bit easier because maybe now he only takes two strikers because he knows he's got Rashford, Sterling, all these kind of players where we'll probably play a 4-3-3, so we'll only play one striker anyway. So regardless of whether it's, if he takes two or three, it probably won't matter because Kane will probably play every single game realistically.
1: Yeah, well, I think it was a in obviously, with Kane. Uh, being on the form that he is that like he was going to go um, and then obviously it looked like Dominic Cavalier would be the second striker so he potentially may have not even took another striker with him obviously mm. he has a few players like Rashford, Stern that can play all over you know the f- attacking line so I think unfortunately for Ings, even if he was just fit he may not have been even gone.
0: And obviously you've you've mentioned him already, but there's speaking of English strikers, you've obviously got Che Adams scoring scoring a few goals here and there, certainly a lot more now this season as opposed to last season. Is he kind of a bit of a, a player that's going to go under a lot of teams' radars and may end up being quite a good player in the future, do you think? He's he's scored quite
1: a few goals this season, I think. He's, he's obviously had to step up with the injury of Dan you know, this season. Um, I think he's just not as consistent as Southampton probably want him to be. Um, he's obviously still quite a young player, so I think he's still got plenty of time to you know, improve on that consistency. But I think so far, I think Southampton would be pleased with how he's progressing, how he's developing, and I think he has the potential to become quite a good player.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, again, when we talk about England, the problem is, is that if you look at, say, for example, Harry Kane's and stuff like that, There's really only one one elite striker there. But you know when you look just below Harry Kane, you've got Watkins, Bamford, uh, Che Adams there, Danny Ings is there, obviously DCL. There are so many good English strikers that we've got there. But I just think that Che Adams might be one of those where he's kind of a a good player but at the wrong time, if you know what I mean, because I don't think he's quite as good as, say, Watkins or Bamford or whoever. I think we, we should probably move on to kind of the, the biggest thing that's come out this week. It's not really related to the game per se, but Chris Wilder has stepped away, officially stepped away from his job as Sheffield United manager. Uh, it was nice to see that they didn't you know officially sack him and that he kind of walked away. Um, I mean, what that man's done for Sheffield United... Regardless of this season, obviously been hit hard by injury, uh, but I mean it's the job he's done has been incredible, really, Anton.
1: Yeah, I think you have to give him a lot of credit. He's done an amazing job. He's obviously got them into the Premier League when no one could ever see them being a Premier League club. Obviously, the season's not turned out the way he uh, would have liked it to have done. Um, I think he's been, you he could say, quite l- unlucky. I think you just just have to look at the Sheffield United squad. It's just not good enough, unfortunately, to be a Premier League club. I think people kind of forget how well Sheffield United played last year. Um, You know, they were flying until the lockdown and then unfortunately after the lockdown they just didn't get going again and then it's just carried on into this season.
0: Yeah, I think ultimately that people need to remember that it wasn't that Sheffield United were really bad this year because I don't think they've been actually that bad for the players they've got. They were just incredible last season, really. That was the thing, like, those players had no right being in the positions they were. You look at the actual players that were doing the bits; they had like they were playing like underlapping centre backs and stuff like this. And it was all it was all new and it was all crazy. But the problem is, once a team figures it out, when you've got something as unique as that, there's always an easy way to exploit it. But that's kind of the risk you have to take. And I ultimately just think that once the lockdown hit and they kind of weren't playing as much, when you've got such a unique tactic like the underlying... under lapping centre backs, it does become difficult to kind of keep yourself playing the way you are.
1: I do wonder if he's sort of accepted that he couldn't have got Sheffield United safe or I don't know the owners potentially think that they're already down and done and they might just try and get a manager to, you know, sort of regroup and try and rebuild for next season.
0: If I'm being honest, I think what what might have happened is potentially they've seen that West Brom aren't doing very well. And they've potentially seen there might be a bit of a scrap at the top of the, uh, at the top of the kind of relegation zone, and maybe they've thought if we have a change now, you might be able to get a bit of a new manager bounce, and you might just be able to to get them just about out of the relegation zone. Maybe if they're really really lucky. Uh, but ultimately, I don't think it's anything. If I'm honest, I think Sheffield United would have stuck with him if when they were relegated. I think the fact he's walked away is just him as a lifelong Sheffield United fan saying, you know, I don't want I don't want the club to be relegated, so if I need to step away, then that's what needs to happen. I think ultimately he's he's just doing what he thinks is best for the club rather than what's best for him. And I think for it's, you know, it's nice to see that, you know, for once when you look at the managers that we've seen um kind of picking teams and picking players based on what they want rather than what's best for the team. I think it is nice to see a manager like that.
1: Um, Yeah, I agree with you. Um, It's obviously, it is a real shame to see him go because of the job that he's done. Um, I mean, he
0: took him up from League One. He went League One, Championship, Premier League. Honestly, it's it's incredible what he's done. Because I remember actually seeing them. So I went, how old would I have been? About 12 years old, something like that. And I actually went to watch them against Peterborough when they were in League One, like back in the day at, um, at Bramall Lane. And I remember watching them then, and Sheffield United, to me, have never been that impressive of a team. And then all of a sudden, I remember seeing them in the Championship, I'm like, oh, that's nice. And then all of a sudden, they blow the Championship away, and I'm like, oh, good. And then they come sixth, in, or eighth, or whatever, he's in the Premier League, and I'm like, oh. And it just kept getting better and better and better, and I think ultimately, they've just, they've just hit the peak of Chris Wilder's powers. Didn't we see them in my second year of uni? We did. We did. We went to see him against Forrest when Ryan Yates got sent off. At, at Bramall
1: Lane. Did Forest yeah, win, or
0: that was, was it? Uh, it was 2-0 to Sheffield United. That was when my exhaust fell off.
1: Yeah, it was. I, mean, I think we missed the first half of that game and we only saw yeah, the second we half.
0: Did. we did. We have to take my grand's car, But that's a story for another day. We'll move on to uh, another... Well, it's actually not another team in relegation, even though they probably should be, uh, in terms of what happened last season. It's Aston Villa and Wolves with a 0-0 draw. Um, I feel like I predicted this, but I probably didn't. Um, I, think we, the, the both, main I
1: thing... think we both predicted a draw. I think one of us said 1-0 and the other said 0-0. Mm.
0: Well, I think it's, it's pretty predictable. Wolves don't score goals and Villa don't have Jack Grealish. Uh, yeah. Ultimately, that is their main problem, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I think that's what we expected. I think we talked about last week how, much, uh, how important Jack Grealish is to that Aston Villa team. Um, and I do think you can show it, uh, it shows in that game, even the, the missing uh, Matty Cash as well. Um, I think it just shows that Rilla are obviously very reliant on Jack Grealish. Um, I think that's understandable with how good Jack Grealish is. Um, He's just not good, you know. obviously if he's injured, they, they need him to be there. And with Wolves, I think ever since Jimenez had that head injury, they've just not been the same team. I think they've been lacking a focal point of front. Um, you know the wingers Traore didn't seem to create anything this year I don't think he scored or assisted in the whole year um, they're just they, yeah we all seem to re- really be struggling
0: uh, I'm not sure quite why yeah I mean I've just I think that the key thing is obviously Jack Grealish and I've just pulled up a couple of his um, a couple of his statistics for this year obviously he's only scored six which for Jack Grealish's standards probably isn't that many but it's things like his accurate passes per game he makes 34 which is He makes 83% of his passes are accurate passes. And it's that kind of thing of when your team is in that half of the pitch and you need someone, I think it's fair to compare him to players like Kevin De Bruyne where you can either make a bit of a run, find some space and then play that pass, that kind of killer pass or take a shot yourself. I think ultimately that's just what they're missing. I think you look at maybe missing Matty Cash as a bit of defensive rigidity, but ultimately... They actually haven't conceded that many without him, so I'd argue the the biggest miss is Jack Grealish. Um, but ultimately, I think I think you know Matty Cash is coming back. Grealish will be back hopefully soon, from what I can tell. So I mean, I, I think they'll be they'll ultimately be fine in a couple of weeks. I just think this will be a bit of a blip, and as long as they can keep it say draws and maybe one loss or you know l- if they're losing by one nil or even winning scraping 1-0 wins, then I think they'll keep going as they are. And remember, they are only three points behind last year's Champions Liverpool with two games in hand.
1: I think that's obviously, I think that's more on sort of Liverpool being not as good this year than uh, but they obviously don't don't like further off. They've been very good this year. Um, and obviously, like you said, Jack is coming back, Matty Cash coming back. Hopefully they'll gain some form in the next couple of weeks.
0: Mm. And I think obviously we can we can flip the conversation to Wolves. I think the reason it was so easy was just because of, of how poor Wolves were in terms of in front of goal. It's that same thing again. They had 10 shots with two on target. It's just not good enough. You know, even if you haven't got your star striker, I'm pretty sure you can find one person who can put three out of 10 shots or four out of 10 shots on target. So, and the thing is, it wasn't like they were not putting them on target of those ten shots, two of them were blocked and six of them were off target. So it wasn't like, you know, they were just unlucky. They were just poor in front of goal. And even if you do get Jimenez back, is that really going to change that much?
1: No, I think Jimenez is a very good striker. I think he offers he offers them something different with being able to hold the ball. I think he can bring he brings other players into play. I think that's how. Sort of, you know, you look at, you remember the Jimenez and Treore sort of goals and assists for each other. So I think, you know, I think there will be a better team with him in the side. Um, whether it brings goals, um, that will obviously have to be seen. But I think from uh sort of uh, one striker to another, I think we have to talk about Jamie Vardy and Ian Nacho.
0: Of course, with obviously Leicester winning two one against Brighton. To be honest, I think, considering what's what's been happening at Leicester recently, I think, this is a, I think this is a bigger result than it kind of seems. I know it's only Brighton, and you know, I know it's it's not necessarily a difficult game for Leicester per se, but you know, to go one goal down, and then to bring it back to make it 2-1, with the injuries they've had, has kind of it shows quite a lot of character, you know there's always the joke about Brendan Rodgers with his oh, great character, great character and stuff, but it is ultimately, it's a, it's a good show of character from a Leicester team who are, you know, kind of down but not out, if you know what I mean.
1: Yeah, I think you have to give them a lot of credit, Brandon Rodgers. Um I think they've had, you know, the number of injuries that they've picked up this season. You know, you sort of always hear about Liverpool struggling with their injuries and all this, Van Dijk out, Gomez out. But you never hear sort of Brandon Rodgers complain or Leicester complain. You know, they just get on with it. Now, I think you have to give them real credit for it. You know, they've obviously they've missed Vardy a couple of games. Madison's been injured, Wesley Fofana, Harvey Barnes, the list goes on. Um, and I think for them just to, you know, keep carrying on and getting the wins and just, you know, looking at each game as it comes, I think, you know, they've done a really good job. Um, I think I, I really would like them to sort of try and uh, be able to hold on to the Champions League spot. Um, I just think, you know, with the as the season comes to the end, I think the lack of, you know, quality... In their team compared to the other teams, you know, you look at Chelsea, Liverpool, and especially with the injuries that Leicester have had, you wonder whether they can just sort of maintain their level. Um, But I think at the moment it's looking good for them, but we'll obviously just have to see how it goes.
0: Yeah, and I mean, ultimately they are building for something. You can see that, you know, they're not bringing in these really expensive players, they're bringing in youth and they're training them up, mixing them in with the experience of players like Ndidi and Tielemans and stuff like that where, you know, they have got they have got quality in there. But I just think with Leicester, it's like you say, it's it's that lack of, ultimately, the lack of depth in the squad where, you know, it gets down to, say, the last three games and everyone's kind of a bit tight because they don't want to lose anything. There's no one they can bring on with that winning experience and just say, like, give me the ball and I'll show you what you can do. I think of players like... Cavani just off the top of my head like Cavani for Man United obviously Bale it's these kind of players where they don't even necessarily have to be young they don't have to be particularly fit they just have to have that experience of winning stuff to know this is how you get over the line and I just think ultimately that's somewhere that Leicester are going to lack for pretty much the whole season until they bring someone in in the transfer market with a bit of experience
1: I think that's sort of a a bit similar to what happened last season I think you know they they have a really good squad to get them in the position that they were. And I think, you know, just the the lack of players just ex- with experience, just, you know, to get them over the line, you know, they probably just had to defend some games just to, you know, get points and qualify for the Champions League. Obviously, they crumbled a little bit. And you wonder whether this year, with the experience of last
0: year, they'll be able to go one better and qualify for the Champions League. I think they are they are better than last year, aren't they? So I think they should be, they should be okay.
1: Yeah, well, I think I think you look at sort of this game. I think without Vardy, without Madison Barnes, I think it's a really good result for them to get a win against a you know a Brighton team that aren't you know the worst one of the worst teams in the Premier League. You know they play good attacking football. Um, I think likewise they just have you know they don't have that a striker that scores them 10, 15 goals That's, you know similar to most of the teams. Um, and I think you know Nacho coming in and he's got a couple of go- goals in his last few games. You know, with Vardy not being, you know, sort of on form this season, you wonder whether Vardy's sort of slowing down, maybe. Um, obviously he's been an incredible, incredible player over the last couple of years. You know, especially that Premier League title winning season. Um, like you know, likewise what we spoke about Aguero last week. You know, is is time coming down for him? But obviously, um, hope hope we hope not. But um, I think if it does for him, they've obviously got a very good player in a Nacho.
0: Yeah, and I think ultimately. With Vardy, the way he plays the game, it's very... You know, he's on the shoulder of the defender. It's all about his pace. And as he gets older, that's just not going to be there. It's just about how can he adapt his game to kind of suit... You know, a, potentially suit his age. I think of, like, Harry Kane. He's not the quickest player, and he has kind of adapted as he's got... He's not that old, but as he's got a little bit older, he's adapted to kind of dropping in deep and playing that more kind of false nine role. Um, I just want to kind of switch it over to Brighton, because... They did actually play quite well, Brighton. They didn't have much of the ball, but they did well to keep Leicester out for the first half and then just seemed to have a bit of a bit of a switch off in the second half for whatever reason. But ultimately, I thought they played okay. Um, the one thing I would say is, and it's said by pretty much every single manager in the league, is that you can't switch off like that if they want to, you know, stay in the league or become a top ten team, say, um, what happened? I guess is the question to Brighton because it was it was awful, really.
1: Yeah, they went. I think they went. Uh, they went one nil up with Adam Alano sort of ten minutes in the game, and then. Um... Leicester, I think second half. I think, you know, Brendan and just gone in at hard time and I think he probably just sort of, you know, spoke him gone playing their football in the second half and then they obviously scored two goals. I think their second goal was quite late on in the game, so sort of the eighty eighth minute. Um, I think they just you know, they probably got quite comfortable actually with the one 0 you know, they probably thought, you know what, we're quite good defensively, but I think Leicester just you know, just kicked on. Um, obviously got the win for them with a uh, you know, really good three points for them.
0: One thing I'm kind of intrigued to now, I wonder what you think is do you think Brendan Rodgers is a, you know, like the hairdryer type, or do you think he's more of a lads, I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed kind of player? Like, what do you think? How do you think he plays it? I think in previous seasons, he
1: might have been, you know, you look at him and he does look quite a calm, collected guy. And I think in the changing rooms, he probably was like that. But I think, you know, mm-hmm. sort of, especially with last season, how Leicester sort of collapsed, I think he he doesn't want to repeat. Um so I think this season he's gotta make sure that, you know, like losing one nil at half time, he's probably gone in the changing room and probably, you know, done the hair dryer treatment, you know, they're they they should not be losing one nil to Brighton. Um obviously he got a response out of them, so obviously whatever he's doing at the moment is is right.
0: Yeah, pretty pretty much. That's I was I was gonna add to that, but I think you've you've kind of rounded that up quite well. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's all good. I think, well, to be honest, I was going to, yeah, I was, I'm quite shocked I was going to make another point, but should we just move on to, to West Brom, Newcastle, which, you know... So
1: have, I, have I overwhelmed you with my football knowledge?
0: You've you've overwhelmed me with your brilliance, <laughs> that's all it is. Um, from being overwhelmed to being heavily underwhelmed... Oh, no, I don't even know I talk Shall to we talk about, talk about, about West Brom, Newcastle, well, I mean, what can we talk about? There's no goals, Newcastle are awful, Steve Bruce don't know what he's doing, Sam Allardyce isn't much better... West Brom aren't much better. So if I'm being honest. I just want both teams to go down. Yeah, I think I'm sick. I'm sick of West Brom. To be honest, going down and up, down and up. I feel like West Brom, Norwich, and like Fulham should sell their own league. That's like just in the middle of the Championship <laughs> and the Premier League, and they just play each other forever. Because that's they're just so bad. And like even like Norwich are looking like going up this year. I don't. I can't be bothered with that. I can't wait to see like Brentford go up. But Norwich will just come straight back down because they are crap. And it's the same with West Brom. They'll go down, they'll play really well for a couple of seasons and come back up, then they'll go down again. It's just boring.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I'm looking at the statistics of the game and, you know, uh, both teams have quite a few um, sort of, you know, shots, but they just they just don't get the shots on target. There's a lot of shots off target and blocked shots. It's just, I think both teams just play very
0: boring football. Um, I mean, it's a just gel- like, Thirteen shots for West Brom, three on target. Three—that's still better than Arsenal, ultimately. But it's just rubbish. Um, I think,
1: yeah. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, I think we can. <laughs> uh, I think we can probably just expect both teams to maybe, I think, go down. I think you look at the form that Fulham are on. I think there's a chance that they stay up, and I think Sheffield, West Brom, and Newcastle go down.
0: Yeah, ultimately, the the podcast may not include this bit. So if you haven't heard this. Enjoy. Yeah, we'll, move on. So <laughs> we'll move on to another team that are quite bad, uh, but still beat last year's champions. Uh, Fulham, what a game. What a what result. A, what a performance from, from Scott Parker's lads. It was just, you know, if you were to draw up a way to beat Liverpool, it would be exactly the way that Fulham beat Liverpool. You just sit back, you take everything, you just take the beating, But because Liverpool aren't scoring, you just take the beating, take the beating, take the beating, lucky goal, done. It's just, I mean, nothing says it better than 37% possession for Fulham. It was just, they got battered for 90 minutes and still won. I think it's incredible. I think they're going to stay up. It's going to be West Brom and Newcastle going down. But at this rate, it could be Liverpool joining them.
1: (laughs) Yeah, they're not far (laughs) off, really, are they? Um,
0: Have we ever had a team go down and win the Champions League in the same season? uh, thing. I uh, I
1: kind of want Liverpool to do that.
0: Yeah, that'd be quite cool. Can you imagine a team
1: in the Champions League that's in the Championship?
0: One week you play Coventry, the next week week you play in Real Madrid.
1: (laughs) Um, I don't even know. I think we've spoken numerous times about Liverpool. I think we're running out of things to say about them. I think I think I'd rather talk more about Fulham. Um, I, I watched the game and I um, the 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 defending from Scott Parker's team. I think you have to give them a lot of credit, and especially I think since the transfer window they bought that defender Anderson. I want to say his name is, and I think they've only I think they've kept sort four of four or five clean sheets in the last sort of six games, and I think he's one of the main reasons for that. Um, so I think Fulham did you know they did some good tran- uh, good January um, January. Trump's a window business. They obviously brought. They obviously saw what they needed and brought a defender in, and it's obviously you know worked wonders for them. And they're obviously on the uh, three points behind Newcastle. I believe is it?
0: Yeah, I believe it is. Um, yeah, I think that. Yeah, because it's. Oh no, they're one point behind Newcastle. Point and they're you... level with Brighton. Yeah. So I mean, you won't follow staying off, up. I'm saying, follow staying up. I think. It wouldn't surprise me if Newcastle went down because Brighton are so much better than Newcastle. And I think Burnley are just about safe. Yeah. They're only think, four points off. But yeah, I think
1: Burnley would we'll be able to sh** a win, won't they?
0: Yeah. I mean, you talk about me swearing. Jesus Christ. Yeah,
1: so I, do, it I, I just kind of thought that's how Burnley play.
0: Right. But yeah, I mean, ultimately with Fulham, I think they they've done little shrewd bits of business here and there, I think. That mad I, I want to say his name, but I feel like Marja. I'm going to say it wrong. Major, yeah. Major, major, or Maya, whichever it is. <laughs> he's he's seemed really good. I think ultimately Lamina with the goal has been really good. I think pushing Bobby Reed onto the right hand side, which is it seems like that's what they've done, um, was I think a bit of a stroke of genius from him. And I just think ultimately they're all playing well. One one player that did actually get the mention that I didn't actually think about for our notes on the podcast was. The job that Harrison Reed does, in the sense he pretty much does the, you know, kind of number six Fabinho role, yeah, where he just kind of cleans up, up all the, ma- yeah. I think I think he's actually a very, very, very good, uh, good player. Of that to be honest, I think well, he. I he watched the game and well. I just,
1: you, he just looked like you know, but there's that one player that you just see everywhere on the pitch. Yeah, and it was him for that in that game. He just, just literally
0: like one second he's over there, one second he's over there, and he's just, hmm. um, he, he did an incredible job. Um, mm. One thing I do want to mention, actually, was probably my moment of the game. And it came from uh, Areola in goal. The save from Diogo Jota's shot. Did you see it?
1: I i feel like I did, but so, I probably can't remember.
0: Diego Diogo Jota, for those who didn't watch the game, has a shot from pretty much the edge of the area on the volley. It's pretty much going as top corner as you can get. And he pulls off. One of the saves, the best saves I've ever seen. Obviously, was it Alariola? Did he play a lot for PSG That's I think he I think was. He was PSG a, came he from. the second goalkeeper, was he? Mm. And I feel like we talk about him like he only plays for Fulham. But if you're going to be second goalkeeper at PSG, you're probably pretty good.
1: now yeah, I think he's. A, been, I think he's. You know, he's sort of up there with Martinez. I think he's a very good goalkeeper. Mm, yeah. What do you mean? Obviously, in a Fulham team, you know, they concede a lot more chances and more. You know, more. Uh, they you know they don't have a lot of the possession, he's always bound to you know have a lot of shots at him, and I think he's he's been very good when needed
0: and I know it's it kind of sounds weird to say, but as much as Liverpool had sixty three per cent of the possession um I think to be honest, most of that came in the second half. I'm just looking now at a breakdown it was seventy six per cent for Liverpool in the first half in the second half, sorry, and it was fifty one per cent for Liverpool in the first half, so I think. When I was watching it, I did think for that first half, it was fairly even. You know, Fulham were moving the ball around quite well and I think they did just get that goal and just think, right, Liverpool haven't scored for ages, so let's just sit back, let's soak up all the pressure. If we get them on the counter, brilliant. But ultimately, when it went 1-0, Fulham could have let in another goal and it's still been a brilliant result. So I think the fact they managed to keep it 1-0 it's just very impressive. It's just very, very impressive.
1: Yeah, it was a very good result uh, for firm. I think moving on to the, sort of the biggest game of the weekend, obviously the Manchester Derby. I don't want to say that I was right, but I'm pretty sure I predicted a United win.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's one of these things. It's Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, man. He loves the Manchester Derby.
1: He it? actually does. I don't think. I don't know. What's the, I Honestly, what they're head-to-head against Pep Guardiola. I think he's only beaten himself once or twice.
0: Yeah, he probably. I mean, I don't. I think it. It wouldn't surprise me if at the start of the season he just asks his. You know, he asks his team, right? When's the Manchester Derby? And he just plans for that, and just kind of whatever happens the rest of the season. It's all right, but
1: yeah, I think most games at United have played City, they always have a game plan, and Guardiola, Pep Guardiola just doesn't seem to be able to
0: find a way to beat Manchester United. I think ultimately it's. Manchester United can have kind of swallowed they seem like they've swallowed their pride and just kinda of gone, I know we're Manchester United and I know we're supposed to play this really nice football, but we're just gonna sit back and then break on the counter every single time. And that's just how they decide to play it. You look at things like the possession stats, Manchester City had sixty six percent of the possession. It is just a classic thing of like you sit back, you wait for the counter, and ultimately they every time they went forward they scored, and I think ultimately it's just one of. The, I think the penalty early maybe didn't seal the game, but it took a lot of the pressure off Manchester United. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. And then hard. obviously, honestly, Luke Shaw getting what was a, a very good goal. Um, ultimately, I think, I think even when that second goal went in, I think that was City's City's day done. Because ultimately, if if Manchester United were sitting back. You know, they only had, what, 40 minutes to sit back for when they scored that second goal. And I don't know, it just, it just felt like City just couldn't be asked, to be yeah. honest.
1: Well, I think um, I think there's been a lot of talk about how United play in the big games against big clubs, especially away from home. Um, but I think you have to look at this Manchester United team and. That their, one of their main strengths is counter attack and football. Um, I, I hear from a lot of people saying that they they play boring football, or it's you know it's boring just to part. Well, not I wouldn't say part of the bus, but just soak up the pressure and then hit teams on the counter. But you know when you have the pace like, of pace of Rashford, Martial, James, and especially Bruno Fernandes as well, you and you know the defense being as you know fairly solid recently, I think you can go to these big games and soak up the pressure and then just hit teams on the break. Um like it worked perfectly against City, you know, against Chelsea, it nearly paid off. They could have scored, you know, won the game quite easily. I think Liverpool as well, nil nil. Um I think Pogba and Bruno had some big chances that they, they failed to put away. Um I just think if you're able to go to these big teams
0: and get clean sheets, you're doing something right. Yeah, I know what you mean. I think ultimately what it is is a lot of managers before Oli have kind of gone. Rather than saying, right, we're gonna we're gonna win games, they've gotta go, Oh, we're Manchester United, we're gonna play the Manchester United way. And ultimately I think the reason Manchester United were able to play, you know, what people knew as the Manchester United way was because they had so much quality. And I just don't think it's not necessarily a knock on this United team, but I just don't think that they've got necessarily that much in terms of that individual quality. You could argue, argue Bruno might be close. But, you know, there's not really those individuals anymore. I think ultimately what they have to do is play as a team, which is, let's not forget, mostly youngsters. You know, you've got Aaron Wan-Bissaka, you've got uh, Dean Henderson in goal, you've got McTominay in the middle, Rashford and Greenwood out on the wings, Martial's not particularly old. I don't even think Bruno's that old. Yeah, I mean, it's full of people that are either coming up to or in their prime. So the fact that you can't really expect expect them to play that nice flowing football just yet, but you do have to say every time you know when they go forward and they get into that flow, they are knocking it around and playing those passes really really nicely. It looks really really good.
1: Yeah, I think like every time they went on the attack against City, it looked like City couldn't cope. Like, they didn't know who to mark, they didn't know where the ball was going, they didn't know like you know they make runs off the off the ball, the movement in behind, it was just. I think it was just really good attacking play from United. Um, I think you obviously have to look at the opponent they were playing. Man City will always have more possession, you know, whoever they play, apart from, you know, maybe Barcelona, for example, or whatever anyone. Um, so I, I think it was the right game plan to go there. And I think a lot of Man United fans would have expected us to line up like this defensively and hit him on the break. And obviously it ended with uh, three points.
0: Yeah, so one thing about Man City, you could you could argue about this game was that they obviously had no Phil Froden to get them those goals. Uh, Do you think? I mean, I know he's only young, but could he maybe be that player for Man City that ultimately needs to to provide the goals?
1: Well, I think they sort of lacked a bit of directness in that game. Um, They obviously had you know they had Sterling and Mahrez. They're not exactly full-on direct players. You know, running with the ball in behind. Um, I think you know, and and Luke Shaw sort of you know kept their ground. I think they had control of both players. Um, I think in the second half, when Phil Foden came on, I think his first attack, he got past Wambasaka and you know, he won a free kick. Um, and you know, Wamba is one of the best one-on-one defenders in the game. Um, so I think you could say that they did miss his directness. And I think you know, he got the he got the start against Manchester uh, against Southampton, sorry. And he, you know, you've awarded Pep with three assists, I believe.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, cause... I think with just looking at that uh, city team specifically in that game, obviously De Bruyne has De Bruyne played, but he's only just come back from injury, really, hasn't he? In like the last couple of weeks, could it maybe have been a bit early to try and give him, you know, a start and ninety minutes, maybe?
1: I think uh, it might have been, uh, especially against the Manchester United team. You know, they'd have been riled up because it was a derby. I think maybe De Bruyne was just, you know, still trying to get some match sharpness, match fitness. Um, You obviously know De Bruyne's got quality. Uh, You could see in the Southampton game uh, a couple of days later where the Man City won 5-2 that he's got the quality. I think just against a Man United team that's got energy, desire, I think they were always sort of going to struggle a little bit, but um, no, I still think obviously Man City is still going to go and win the league. Um, I think, you know, it's just a little blimp in the Manchester derby.
0: And like you said, they they kind of proved in that game against Southampton just how good they are. Obviously winning 5-2, De Bruyne with two, Mares with two, Gundogan, who's just again one player of the month. They've obviously got the players to do it. It's literally just like we always say, it's a case of when, not if. I think they'll continue to blow teams away. Ultimately, we said about Southampton before, they're just in a bit of a bad form and I just, yeah, I can't see anyone stopping this Man City team. um Especially if they've got De Bruyne, Fernandinho with Rodri to come on and Gundogan in the midfield. And then you look on the bench and they've got Aguero, Sterling. I mean, w- w- what can you actually do to stop that Man City team, really? I don't know. Well, I think I think you could say a lot of teams,
1: when they play Manchester City, they try and play the same way that United uh, did sort of hmm. you know soak up the pressure and counter attack? I don't think I don't think any team in the Premier League does it better than Manchester United. I think I, I think I think last season they had the most counter attack goals. I want to say probably yeah. I have no idea. So yeah, yeah. I think you look at them. I think if anyone could pull off a counter attack sort of game plan against Manchester City, I
0: think Manchester United were the team to do it. Do you think maybe that's why earlier in the season uh, Jose Mourinho and Spurs they got that two nil? Two 0 win at Man City, didn't they? And they they looked like it was a proper sit back. I don't, think I Spurs,
1: yeah, like you say, are oh, another team that can do it. They can sit back. They have got Kane, Son, Bale, whoever on the counter attack, and they're another team that can do it. Um, I think that that is one way to play against Manchester City.
0: Mm. <laughs> Without sound like a stupid question, is there realistically any other way to do it? Because from what I can tell, there just isn't. You know, you can't outpass them because you'll just get pressed and you'll lose the ball. You can't, you know, kind of do the the Burnley where you do just sit back because they will literally just play it around you like you're not even there. So mainly maybe it is a case of literally kind of playing that low ball but then ultimately not just doing Route One every time you're trying to attack is maybe that kind of quick play out rather than just kind of humping it forward.
1: Yeah, I think that's how what Manchester United did well. I think they passed it to the defenders and then they were able to cut the line behind the midfielders and then feed the ball to, you know, Martial Rashford and then they were able to turn quick and just hit, run at City. And I think that's where they couldn't cope. When you beat the press, you beat the, you know, sort of four or five players that are on you straight away. And then I think, you know, if you get past the midfield and you have four or five players on your own team running at them, City
0: can't deal with it. Yeah, and I think as well, one thing I did notice was the kind of the obviously the city fullbacks aren't historically aren't the best defenders in the world. Obviously, they're they're obviously very good, but they're better going forward than they are coming back. It's a bit like Liverpool; that they are better going forward. And I think what Manchester United really well was because they were playing that kind of 4-3-3, four three three four four two one two or whatever you want to call it. They kind of they were able to allow Luke Shaw to press forward with kind of Fred and McTominay. Was it Fred and McTominay? Am I saying that right? Yeah, with Fred and McTominay kind of covering those wings, Luke Shaw and Aramon Bissaka were able to kind of double up on the full backs, which ultimately led to one of two things. It was either the midfielders, the wide midfielders were having to cover back or they were just getting outplayed and ultimately it led to to what happened with Luke Shaw's goal. Um, I just think it was we talk about managers having masterclasses. I think it was an Oli master masterclass. If I'm honest, I think it was brilliant. I think
1: they were really, really good. I don't honestly agree with you. Um, I think Oli's had a lot of stick recently. You know, he's not a good manager. He's done other tactics. You know, they say a lot. Of, a lot of Manchester United games rely on individual uh, sort of you know talent, individual moments, um, which in a way I could I can agree with. You know, they rely on Bruno quite a lot, Rashford. But I think in some of the big games. Ole has got it right, and
0: he deserves a lot of credit for it. Mm. I think we can. I think we've we've summed up Man United quite well there. Actually, um, I want to move on to speaking of a masterclass. I want to talk about a game that wasn't actually really that that typical of their manager. It was Jose Mourinho and Spurs, and their very un Mourinho like performance, scoring four goals and not really sitting back against Crystal Palace.
1: No, I think we both predicted sort of a 3 4 0 win for Spurs. Um, I think I think like we spoke a, a lot of them about them last week, just hoping that Mourinho just sort of unleashed their attack. And at the moment, it looks like he is—he has unleashed them. Um Gaff Bale two goals, Harry Kane two goals and two assists. What a performance from Harry Kane? Um, oh, I
0: mean, he's he's elite. I mean, I think I said it last week. I think he's been the best player in the Premier League. Mm, um, I think almost they could do with. Potentially play in that kind of four-three-three system that City play, and have that kind of Hoiberg sat deep, and then uh, you know like in Dombele and Sissoko in the middle, because that would literally just give them the freedom just to go and attack. I think the system they're playing now with kind of Lucas Moura just in behind it means they kind of lose out on one defensive midfielder, and ultimately they can't be as secure at the back. Although to be fair, the centre backs did actually look quite comfortable. I know it's only against Crystal Palace, but you know what I mean. And ultimately, I think if they can get it right with that attack, and potentially if I don't know if they if they've got the option to make it a permanent transfer, but transfer, but if they can get Gareth Bale back and playing, I think Spurs are going to be incredibly dangerous. And I think to be, I think they're going to win the Europa League. I think I have... I don't think there's a better team than Spurs in the Europa League. I think yeah, I think
1: they obviously won their Europa League tie quite comfortably, two 0 two goals from Harry Kane, of course. Um, I think you know, maybe Tottenham, maybe Man United, Tottenham, Man United final potentially if it if the draw works out. Um, but obviously, I think if if Spurs have a good summer, I don't see a reason why they can't be title uh,
0: potential winners next season. See, I think the reason for it is is because it's been so long it's that Liverpool thing man. they've just been waiting for so long to win anything that when they get to that point they just crumble but I think you know, if they, you have Mourinho they, there it makes a difference maybe he's a serial maybe, winner he's I mean, done
1: it with you know Porto, Man United, Chelsea all the teams that he's been at I think that's why I think Tottenham went for him in the first place you know to try and end their trophy drought and I think there's no other manager in world football that you'd
0: want to do that than Jose Mourinho I, I Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's definitely going to help. I just don't know. Although, to be fair, they've swapped a lot of players. I'm just thinking back to that that Champions League defeat to Liverpool. Ultimately, Liverpool didn't really play that well. But obviously, you know, the penalty happened and, and Divock Origi scored as well to kind of seal the deal. But other than that, Liverpool didn't look that much better than them in that game. Um, I think the problem is Spurs are a funny one because I watch... I watch uh, a couple of people on YouTube and it's that same thing of even if Spurs are top of the league with two games to go if they're not clear then they'll probably bottle it because it's Spurs and it's a Spursy thing to do and you can kind of it feels like you can count them out of the title and winning things before you know a ball's even kicked in the season i think they just need to get rid of that stigma if you know what i mean yeah, maybe they've
1: got a good chance to win the Europa League this year. I don't think there's many good teams in it. Um, no, not really.
0: I could see a lot of the England. I mean, you look at um, Arsenal are probably going to be up there. Spurs are going to be a Man United will probably be there. I, I wouldn't even like Rangers offer it. May it wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> imagine, imagine like a Rangers Arsenal semi final or something. That'd be brilliant. That would be brilliant. Um, we'll move on. Uh, and kind of take ourselves out of those Europa League teams and into a team that are very much in the Champions League. To be fair, and that's uh that's Chelsea with their two 0 victory against Everton. Expected,
1: I think it was. A, I think it was expected, and it's a very important result for Chelsea. They're still unbeaten. I think, especially against sort of a Champions League rival. You know, I think they were sort of similar level on points, or I think they over, Chelsea overtook Everton. Um, mm-hmm. so I think it's a very important win, and I think Chelsea have sort of created a, li- a little bit of a gap between the other teams. Um I think Definitely. you know Chelsea obviously with Thomas Tuchel coming in there and beating they're on very good form. Um I think like I think I said last week that you know I think they're set for the Champions League place now as well. Um mm-hmm. yeah th- it just I think it was just I think it was just about getting the win in that game personally.
0: Mm. I think ultimately it obviously started or not started but it the first goal was ultimately quite unlucky with Ben Godfrey. Uh, I think up until that point, did it look like Everton were maybe good for a nil nil? Yeah, they're probably just what in the say? game,
1: but I think Chelsea probably just stepped up a little bit. I mm. think I think uh, the Chelsea team that they had was a very sort of mixed team. Like they didn't Mason Mount didn't play. Um, I think Havertz played one of his first games back in a long while. Yeah. He um, you. And you just like you just look at that squad. They've got Pulisic on the bench, Ziyech, Mason Mount, Encante didn't isn't? play, Chirwell didn't play, Thiago Silva.
0: It's mate, it's just incredible. It's mind
1: boggling how good that Chelsea squad is.
0: I think what one thing that you can kind of see, and I've just backed it up with a statistic here, is that in terms of their pass accuracy, 89% of their passes were accurate. They played six hundred and thirty-five accurate passes. As opposed to 298 from Everton, being having 89, what basically nine out of every ten passes is going to the right person. I think that's just what what Tuchel's brought in that just kind of that confidence to play the ball and not not necessarily worry about losing the ball because he's set them up in this kind of three at the back, four at the back, five at the back type system where it changes all the time. I think they're just more comfortable. They've had a new lease of life. And they are just playing ultimately so much better. You even look in this game, they had 65% of the possession, 19 shots with nine on target. They actually played a good game of football, which is, I think I would argue that's more important than the points at this stage. Yeah, I think it is obviously, you know, the
1: games come quick and fast. And I think if you're playing, if you're playing well, um, you're going to go into each game feeling confident that you can go and get the win and, well, obviously, Chelsea, you know, they've not lost a game under Thomas Tuchel. So I think, you know, they're going into every game thinking they can win this and they'll, you know, they'll keep a lot of the ball, they'll play it around and they'll just create chances and they'll score.
0: Hmm. I just wonder with kind of looking over at Everton, are they in a danger of losing out that kind of momentum in terms of, obviously, they're one, two points behind West Ham as we talk now, obviously it might be different when the podcast talk comes out there are what Liverpool and Tottenham Aston Villa are playing right now so you could it could even be Aston Villa by the end of tonight. they are only they are less than three points behind Everton. Are they in danger of potentially losing out on that kind of sixth spot which potentially well almost definitely will be like a Europa League or a United you know, Europa League when some teams win the FA Cup if they're in the top four, it's that Europa League qualifier yeah. thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. I can't think of what it's called. Well, I think it's but- just
1: so crucial with so many teams fighting that you just need to keep winning games no matter how you play. Um, I think you know, like you look at Chelsea, they just keep winning games. I think West Ham sort of keep winning games. I think Tottenham, Man United, all those four teams in that those positions. I think it's just important to win the games and just, you know, keep building your points up and making sure that you stay sort of with the other teams. Um, especially Everton playing a rival that's in those positions I think it was a really bad result I think Carlo Ancelotti probably went there trying to maybe just get the draw you know just like let's get a draw you know not lose the game um, but yeah I think they you know if they if they did get some points quickly I think they might be in danger of losing out on those uh, champions League or Europa League spots
0: definitely I think linking to our final game and probably the most important game for the podcast it was obviously the the both podcast derby with the with the two of our favorite teams in West Ham and Leeds United ended in a 2-0 win for a bit, West Ham
1: a bit dead uh, considering what we predicted i think we wanted like a four all draw
0: yeah i mean four all might have been a bit optimistic but a uh, brilliant result for west ham doesn't really matter for leeds either way i think no one would have expected them to win that game with how west west ham are playing uh, big thing, well, main thing being that obviously Jesse Lingard again scores, but not after, not you know, not potentially uh, a particularly good goal, we'll say.
1: There's was a rebound from a penalty, am I correct?
0: Yeah, obviously he had the penalty saved after what happened last week with Declan Rice. Uh, I saw an interview uh, that when, he, when they went in at half-time or full-time, David Moyes apparently said, from now on, Declan Rice takes the penalties, that's it. <laughs> and, you know, I thought that was quite funny. Might, um, might put
1: him in my FPL.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, Declan Rice get the clean sheets, get the penalties. It is what it is. But um, Ooh, that's a lot of points, actually. It is. But with with West Ham, one thing I'm I'm wondering, looking at their team, is there a potential to maybe say that they could be at any one point one a bit like Liverpool, one injury away from just falling away because it seems like every single game is their best team playing. It's like that that, that eleven pretty much picks itself. Is there that depth to kinda of keep going to the end of the season like we talked about with Leicester? Uh
1: I think so. I think um I think the key players that they've got are Suzchek and Rice. Um I think you know the 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 midfield partnership that they've got building is unbelievable. Um, you know, I think they've got sort of a lot of the creative players you look on the bench I think they sort of had uh, Lanzini, sort of Bowen So I think in sort of the attacking areas that you know, I think bringing in Lingard sort of helped them out just to have a bit more squad depth Um, I think, you know, with uh, Antonio, he's sort of their only main good striker Um, But I think, you know, the midfield is where they they sort they win battles with Declan Rice I think if they keep Declan Rice and Suchek Injury free for the
0: rest of the season, I think they've got a real good chance to just keep uh, going on. Mm. I think, to be honest, they are Leeds and West Ham are two very comparable teams in that sense. That you look at Leeds, they've only really got that one good striker, or maybe they've got Rodrigo, uh, but other than that, not really anyone. They've obviously got a few decent players that are on their bench and were on their bench for this game but they haven't, apart from that kind of key, probably 13 players, they haven't really got anyone that, again, you'd bring on in the latter minutes of a game that's got that experience of winning. I think it's it's going to always be a, a struggle for these teams that are kind of in that kind of eighth place realm, which I think is ultimately, if we're honest with ourselves, that's probably where West Ham ought to be finishing. Whether or not they finish there is kind of up for debate, but I I don't know what's going to solve that for West Ham unfortunately. I think maybe the fact like I said earlier they are a London club so maybe that lifestyle might just tempt a few players in here and there. You look obviously Jesse Lingard coming in that's a big signing. Could they get someone with that kind of winning experience to maybe push on and maybe maybe secure themselves a Champions League next year. You know maybe it might be that it's City United West Ham Leicester even this year that could happen, but I'm thinking more next year. Could they kind of put themselves to be like a top six certain every single year?
1: Um, I think uh, the business that they do this summer will be very crucial. Um, I think David Morris has uh, received quite a lot of credit for sort of his signings the last couple of seasons. Mm-hmm. and I think they've sort of brought in very good sort of like not sort of well-known players and they've become good. You look mm. at Susche, I don't think anyone heard of him. You know, Pablo Fornals. I think mean, they brought a few players from the Championship. You look at Benarama, Antonio. Mm. Um, and I built- think
0: definitely, especially with the signing of Antonio, because you've got to remember, he was at a Forest team that were, I think at that season, we survived on goal difference when he left. Or it might have been the season after that. Or the season before that, sorry, that he left. And he has just shown. I think there was a talk at one point about him being an England player. I think he did. He play for England, or was I he on the bench?
1: He got called up, but he was. I think he was the only player that didn't play out the whole squad. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, but I mean, I think I think you're right in the sense that you know they're bringing quality from the Championship, and it does show that there is there are bits there. You know, Ollie Watkins has shown that, Ben Rahm has shown that. It seems to be something to do with Brentford because you got like more pies up there as well. I think they they have been very shrewd. They've been very clever. They've obviously got a good, a good system there. And I think they they've they've mixed the squad up with kind of experience and with the youth, with obviously Declan Rice coming through. And a little word on the more experienced side. It's obviously Mark Noble. I think next season is going to be his last season in football, from what yeah. I can tell. It is. He's obviously he's was a childhood a childhood fan. Uh, am I right in thinking he was there? He was there around the time Lampard was there, like yeah. when they first started together, didn't they? Or something. Yeah,
1: he's been there. His whole uh, career, hasn't he? He's been, I think, an incredible. Over five
0: hundred appearances. He's captained them for how many years? Um, he's obviously he's just been one of these players that you just associate with, kind of the Premier League, both old and old and new. I think it's it's going to be a sad one to see him leave. Obviously, it's good that he's done another year and not left this year because obviously. It'd be a bit naff leaving the team with no fans in the stadium. So I think it'd be good, you know, maybe last day of next season. You know, all the fans are in there. COVID's all gone. We can all celebrate. And, you know, Mark Noble can get that respect that he that he ultimately deserves. But I think he's one of these. He's a bit like a, a Roy Keane and a Joey Barton type. He's just, he's an absolute head case, but he, he carries himself well. He He works as hard as he can. And ultimately, I think he's going to be a big a big miss for the dressing room, but you know, he's kind of passing passing that uh that bat on to to Declan Rice and I think it's gonna be it's gonna be a big, big factor in his career is obviously playing alongside someone like Mark Noble.
1: Yeah, I think they're in a very capable hands with uh, Declan Rice in the midfield. I think he's obviously mm. probably learned under Mark Noble and understands what it's like to be a West Ham player. You know, Mark Mark Noble's a West Ham through and through. Um, so he's probably you know sort of teaching Declan Rice, you know the ways of being a West Ham player. Um, mm. but I think you know, if you if you speak to any West Ham fan, I think they, they love they love Mark Noble. Um, I think they're thankful mm. for what he's done over many many years.
0: Definitely, definitely. I think from one great midfielder, well, two different levels, but to another, uh, we're gonna jump away from the Premier League quickly, uh, and we really mean quickly because we have gone on for a while. Uh, and the news that Steven Gerrard, as Rangers manager, has gone and won the Scottish Premier League BBK. Uh, it's amazing, isn't it, really? I
1: think he's, he's done an incredible job. Um, I think what he's done with that Rangers team, especially, I think, and just Rangers overall, I think they were sort of abolished 10 years ago, was it?
0: Yeah, I think you might be right. They were, yeah, they went into administration. or something. Yeah, and I think
1: it's incredible that in ten years' time they've been able to come back. I think they've, uh, I think especially, um, I think Celtic were. I think if they won it this year, would it have been ten years in a row yeah, or something. It was
0: ten in a row, yeah. It's so, it's, it's it, crazy. I mean, I think Brendan Rodgers leaving Celtic has played. I'm not gonna, you know, sit back and say that. You know, it, it's. I'm not gonna take away from what Steven Gerrard's done, but I think Brendan Rodgers leaving. Has maybe had an impact, but ultimately Steven Gerrard has been ruthless with the team. You know he's got some good players in there that I think are Premier League level. Uh, the one that springs to mind for me, I know he's not the best player there necessarily, but uh, Kimar Roof played for Leeds. is a very, very serviceable striker for the Premier League. Yeah, I think probably... and yet not many Premier League teams would have would have given him a second look. I think it's just that it's just that kind of player a Manager that was a very good player, noticing players that are very technically gifted that might not be on the you know the kind of big money in the bright lights of the Premier League.
1: Yeah, I think you have to look at a few of the other players they've got. They've got Ryan Kent, who's a very good young player. They've got Morales. Mm-hmm. I mean, think yep. you put him in some of the lower leagues in the Premier League. I think he you know he sort of scores some goals and keeps them up. I think he's He'd probably like... score as many goals as he gets red cards though. Yeah, that's true. You know,
0: I mean, I wouldn't <laughs> mind if he score and win the game, but it gets sent off. Yeah, I mean, oh, I'm, I'm I'm, never normally happy for other managers of other teams, especially one I have literally no link with. But it's really good to see a young English manager like Steven Gerrard, especially since he never won the Premier League as a player. To see him win a Premier League um, of sorts is quite quite nice to see.
1: I think you have to look in the style they've done it. They're obviously unbeaten in the league. Are they unbeaten in Europe? Have, have mm. they actually lost a game this season? Uh, I don't think I, they have. I think I don't they, know. <laughs> they got to. The, I think they got to the final of their Scottish Cup as well.
0: They might have done. You know. And
1: won that as well. So, I think we'll have
0: to. We'll have a look and we'll uh, we'll post this as a clip potentially on the uh, on the on the TikToks and we'll we'll find out. And obviously,
1: that... their last they, the game to win them. Um, no, the, no, the one top. Yeah, sorry, their next game. They get a guard of honor at Celtic.
0: Oh <laughs> can you imagine if that was Neil full of fans? Lennon will be oof, well obviously he's not there anymore but Neil, Neil oh. Lennon will not be a happy man oh. uh, but i mean to, to kind of round off this point uh, it's i think it's fully deserved from Rangers i think they've you know Stephen Gerrard's worked unbelievably hard i know just as a as a forest fan he obviously had joe Worrell on loan a couple of seasons ago and i, I, I don't think i'm just saying this that he came back and he was so much of a better player. He's now the captain of Forest. He's a better leader. He's I think he's a better all-round defender. I'm not saying that Steven Gerrard would have had. You know, Steven Gerrard's not telling him how to defend, but ultimately the way he's managed his young players, it's just, it's really good to see. One final question on it, with Liverpool's drop in form. I know the answer to this question from Liverpool fans, but I want it from you. How long until we see Steven Gerrard in the dugout at Anfield?
1: I think it's got to be another couple of years. I think you look at how it's gone with Lampard at Chelsea. I think they're just, they're not experienced enough. I think Gerrard's done the right thing gone to Rangers. If he stays there... Sort of maybe another another five years, wins multiple uh, Scottish League titles. You know, does well in Europe as well. I think then that's then when he's ready to become a Liverpool manager. There's a lot of talk with Jurgen Klopp potentially leaving in that sort of maybe the, the couple of seasons. Mm. Um, I still don't think Gerard will be ready. Maybe, um, especially I don't think you want to throw him in the, a job that big too early. L- look how it's gone for Lampard. Um, hmm. I think. Don't get me wrong. I think he will be the Liverpool manager at some point. I just don't think. They, mm. I don't think they want to rush it.
0: So, do you think maybe it's a case of managing a lower league, like a, or well, what team would it be, like a Southampton first, and then potentially go and and get the Liverpool job after that, or do you think it's I don't, going to be Liverpool? I don't, think, I don't, think, a straight
1: straight I don't think another Premier League club would do the job. I don't think. I don't think he'd want to.
0: Yeah, I know what you mean.
1: Uh, I think maybe just stick at Rangers a couple of years, win multiple titles. I think you know there will mm. always be different scenarios. You learn something every day as a manager, um, mm. and I think that would all you know if he wins multiple titles there, that's something that is he's, he's You know how you can win multiple titles each season and carry on each season.
0: I think that will be key for him at Rangers. Mm. Um, I think the one thing that I want to see, just to kind of prove it from him, is a proper on-form Celtic team going toe to toe with this Rangers side and see. How he can do when Celtic are fully firing? Because ultimately, that Celtic team, if they wanted to, next season they'll just buy the league again, and they could do it easily. I'd love to see, as like a plucky underdog story where, you know, Celtic have got this, you know, new manager in, that they'll eventually get. They'll buy loads of players. They'll buy the league again, and then you know, like a Stephen Gerrard Rangers of just like people you've never heard of before go and snatch it from. I think that'd be awesome. But. Absolutely. I think on that, uh, we are 34 minutes into the Newcastle-Aston Villa game, for anyone who cares, and it's still nil-nil. Uh, do we have a final prediction for that game, just to kind of finish on, off the podcast?
1: Or should we just do a quick fire prediction for all this game's weekend?
0: Yeah, why not? I, like just, I say I like we
1: it. just read them out and just quick fire say a result.
0: Quick, 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 yeah. So obviously, the Newcastle-Aston Villa game is 34 minutes in. It's nil-nil. What do you think it's going to be at the uh, end? 1-nil, Villa. I'm going to say it's going to stick 0-0. Love that. Okay. Leeds United, Chelsea. What are you saying,
1: Ben? Uh, 2-0 Chelsea.
0: I'm going to go 3-1 Chelsea. And Uh, Crystal Palace and West Brom.
1: I I can just see it's on Sky Sports. I'm not watching that.
0: (laughs) Uh,
1: 0-0. I think West Brom might just get a goal, nick a goal,
0: 1-0. Okay. Uh, Everton, Burnley.
1: 2-0 Everton. 1-0
0: one all, Watch it, one all, And Fulham City.
1: I think I was doing my gut. 3-0 Man City.
0: I'm going to go 3-2 Man City. I think they're going to go 3-0 up and then Fulham are going to score 2. And then it's going to be like, oh, they're going to do it, and they're actually not. <laughs> um, uh, Southampton, Brighton. That's another pretty boring game. I won't lie to you. I
1: think it's quite a crucial game though, but...
0: Oh, it's a massive game.
1: Uh, I'm going to go 2-1 Southampton.
0: 2-1 Southampton. Uh, It's a bit of a derby, actually. I've just thought it's South Coast derby, isn't it? It is. Uh, I'm going to go... Yeah, I'm going to go 2-1 Southampton as well. Uh, Uh, Leicester City, Sheffield United. I think Leicester City are going to win 4-1. They're just going to blow them away. 3-0 for me. Yeah. The big game is the North London derby this week. Massive game. This week. Uh, especially, you know, you look at the teams are pretty much both on the same points. I think they're about one point different. What we, what are we saying, Ben? What are you thinking?
1: I just think with this, it just all depends on how Mourinho lines up a, a team. I, it could easily be 3-0, 3-0, 3-1 Spurs. Um, I'd like to think it'll be 3-1 Spurs. I think their team, you know, Harry, Harry Kane's too good. Um, so I think I'll go 3-1 uh, Spurs.
0: Right, I think Spurs have the most exciting front three in the league. I think Arsenal have an incredible amount of attacking talent. Both teams are fairly defensively weak, uh, and for that reason, it's going to be one all. Because <laughs> it shouldn't be one all, and for that reason, it will it'll be a really boring game. But Sky Sports again will, hi- will just give it the hype, give it the hype, and it will be awful. I mean, With you Manchester said United. Oh, gone.
1: You said I think didn't you say that the Manchester derby would be a bit of a hype?
0: Actually, yeah, I did. Actually, no. You know what? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go completely opposite. So I'm gonna go four-two to Spurs. <laughs> Gareth Bale hat trick. Bamiyang scores two, and then obviously, you know, Son or Kane assist. Son, or, you know, what I mean, that's no, true. There's obviously going to be some Son or Kane involvement in there. Um, now it's the Jesse Lingard derby: Manchester United versus West Ham United.
1: Obviously, Jesse Lingard will be uh, unable to play this game.
0: Is he actually unable? Yeah, so he can't play. Right, okay.
1: Um. so I, I, for that reason I think it'll be a big miss for West Ham so I think
0: 2-1 Man United I'm going to go the same I think I think it's going to be 2-1 Man. Um. I think it, the final game of the week unless I've missed one no is it. Wolves-Liverpool I
1: think I think away from I think away from home I think Liverpool yeah Wolves are quite shocking really at the moment
0: yeah they are quite bad it's uh, going to be 0-0
1: to be fair, Wolves actually. Don't get me wrong. Wolves are quite a good, solid actually. I think maybe one 0 or
0: 0-0. I just think the fact that Wolves play five at the back, the fact that they couldn't Liverpool couldn't score past four Fulham defenders, they are never going to score past five Wolves defenders. You know my, I just don't think it's going to happen. I back. I back. I back you. Nil know, nil. No. Of course, we're probably going to get all of those wrong, and this podcast has actually been a bit of a longer one. But I think we've had quite a lot to talk about this week there's obviously you know been like we said about the thing about Chris Wilder and stuff that we talked about for quite a while um and obviously that was the exciting game of Newcastle and West Brom that's probably been cut out and I think at that <laughs> we should probably uh, we will probably finish the podcast there we are going to go for a big push this week on the socials so do keep an eye out And if you haven't already, please follow the podcast. Follow us on Spotify, at The Bolf Podcast. On TikTok, is just at The Bolf Podcast as well. And unless you've got anything else, Ben? No, I'm all good. Lovely stuff. So thank you very much for listening. As always, I have been Ben. And I've been Ben. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bro, that was so long. Yeah. I mean, you did say longer. (laughs) Oh yeah, I mean